Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is an actor that you may remember from horrors such as Insidious, but he's also just directed an amazing documentary called The Horror Crowd, and this is showing this weekend as we speak at the Fright Fest. He's an incredible guy, and the moment we start talking you can hear how we just hit it off. So I'm joined today by Ruben Pla. As I just said, he's great. From the moment we start talking, the chemistry's there. He's so fun, he's so lovable, and I can't wait to share this interview in a few moments' time. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, what I like to do is talk about my previous guest. This episode was only a few days ago. I released the interview with Tanya Raymond, a great actress, so lovely, so energetic, and just so infectious, and people that have listened have got in contact and said just how much they enjoyed listening to it, so thanks to everyone that tuned in and listened to that. But let's get on to today's episode. It's really busy right now on Mark and Me, and we're doing more episodes than ever. More than two episodes a week are coming out, and this one's a really, really good one, so I can't wait. So here's me and Ruben Pla talking all things horror. So Ruben, thanks yeah. very much for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. It's totally my pleasure. Uh, what I want to do is take it back to the very start, really, and talk about when you were growing up and what your first early memories were of finding and discovering horror for yourself. Well, Mark, actually, I'm still a little traumatized by that, so I'd rather not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I actually remember very, very clearly uh, when it started. Was uh, I grew up in New York City, and I used to watch uh, this TV show that would show movies, uh, Creature Features. And they showed the old Dracula, you know, Wolfman, Frankenstein movies. I remember sitting there watching these and getting scared to death. And they're just so well done. The, the black and white was, of course, you know, gorgeous and scary. But the scripts were so good. And the character development, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman, as Larry Talbot. So, you know, you felt so bad for him that he had this curse. You know, uh, of course, the Frankenstein's monster. Not Frankenstein, the Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people make that mistake. Uh, you know, you felt bad for him too because, you know, he, he's, he's put together and, and he's lonely. Later, he gets a nice looking girl and Frankenstein, Frankenstein. But uh, I just love watching all those movies. I grew up watching them. And then uh, later on, progressing to science, science fiction and fantasy, also start watching you know, Alien and those kind of things. But that's how it started. Amazing. And can you remember one of those first films that really kind of, I remember my dad letting me borrow from a video rental store, um, Aliens, and I was probably eight or nine years old. And that was the film that then terrified me, but it gave me that hunger to then want to experience that feeling again. Sure, sure. It's like a drug, Mark, like a drug. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aliens is one of my top three favorite uh, sci-fi horror movies, you know, sci-fi adventure horror movies. Uh, Alien is probably my favorite horror sci-fi movie of all time. It's so different, obviously, you know, Cameron's take on it was so different from Scott's take on it. Uh, but I, I, I love both those movies. And, and uh, they also affected me when I was a little older than that, like the Universal Classics. Uh, I started thinking, wow, this is good stuff. And then soon after that, actually, I started getting into, I think I want to be an actor. I want to be, I want to be in that kind of stuff, you know? And which then eventually after years led to now, you know, dipping my toe into the directing uh, scene. So, I mean, looking back at your career and obviously starting out in acting, was that mm-hmm. actually when you were growing up at school and college, the career you wanted to take? Were you quite certain I want to be act- an actor or was there something else kind of at the side of it that you thought this could be a possibility? 
college, not not high school, but college for sure. Yeah. Uh, started out as an English major and uh, did that for a while and I loved it and I still write now. So, but the writing uh, aspect of it led me into, you know, I think I'm going to research. Good question, by the way, Mark. Nobody's asked me that question yet in all the interviews I've done. Uh, seriously, uh, led me into, let me see what it's like to write a play because I've been writing, you know, short stories and poems. And I thought, let me see, the, let me research it from the, from the inside out. Like, let me do an acting class and see what it's like to be a, a character in a play. Then I can write the play. So I took an acting class <laughs> and then the, I was bitten by the acting bug. I said, oh my gosh, uh, I'm going to keep doing this. So I started doing that. I still wrote here and there a little bit, but, but uh, I became full, full-time actor after that and went back to New York after college and then pursued that and done okay, you know. I mean, when you're on set and you're being an actor, could you see yourself getting involved in the technical elements? And were you looking sometimes at the director or the cameraman or the cinematographer and thinking, oh, I'd like to know more about that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. When I was on the set, you know, watching directors and, and a lot of them became friends of mine, so I would ask questions. And even after the shoot, we'd get together and discuss uh, filming, cinematography, editing, everything. And I also love to edit too. I edited the horror crowd and plus my first two shorts. So I love to edit. And uh, yeah, of course, you watch it on the set and you, you absorb it like a sponge. You watch everything too. Not so much DP work, uh, cinematography. I never went that way. Not yet. No. But definitely the directing, editing, that's offset, but still it's connected. Uh, absolutely. You, you learn, you know, by doing and also by watching from the best, hopefully. And then you incorporate and make it your own. Yeah. And you just mentioned there, obviously, your directorial debut, uh, The Horror mm -hmm. Crowd. Right. This is where I want to spend a lot of today's interview discussing. Now, sure. when was it actually an idea for you? Instead of it actually being created, when was it that you sat there with a pen and paper and started thinking about this project? Yeah. So I'd been traveling in the horror circles uh, for a little bit in, in Los Angeles, Hollywood. Yeah. And I started thinking, you know, I know a lot of these horror filmmakers, directors, writers, producers, actors. I want to like interview them, you know, just see, I don't know, just with my phone. Yeah. You know, they're not even not a big deal, just kind of a phone thing, see what happens. I wasn't even thinking, oh, this enormous movie or whatever. And uh, not that it's an enormous movie, but, you know, and that are pretty, pretty darn good, I thought. And I had lunch with my friend Hank Braxton, and I said, I'm thinking of doing this. And he goes, well, I'll get you some cameras. I go, great, thank you. And, and some lights, and, and, you know, we'll shoot it in the studio production house I work. And so it just started snowballing from there. And then I brought in, uh, Ariel Brockfeld does my producer, uh, producing partner, who's his wife. And then we, we were all friends from way back in Insidious. We all met during Insidious. And uh, it just snowballed. I started asking people. I said, hey, you want to be in this? You know, thinking they may say, I don't have time. I don't know about that. I don't want to be in front of the camera. But they all wanted to do it. They, they all said yes, and they lined up. And it was just great. And they started giving me all these little tidbits and revelations of things that I did not know. Uh, some you know really interesting things came out yeah and with the concept of it I really love the fact that you've gone in and got into their heads and found out more that you're never going to get even from a DVD commentary or a special feature mm -hmm. you're never going to really get inside the creators heads and how they came up with the concepts but was it absolutely fascinating sitting there with this microphone being the guy that could then ask the questions and probably ask the questions that all those horror fans out there in the world are always asking themselves every day 
Excellent question. That's exactly correct. I mean, being an actor, I felt very comfortable, obviously, interviewing them. I would be off camera sometimes and on camera with them sometimes, as you can see, you know, on the sofa with them, you know, I tap them, armor on whatever the case may be. So I felt very comfortable and they likewise felt comfortable with me, could open up to me uh, because of that. So, um, yeah, and being a horror fan, I also knew what to ask and what, you know, you know, what to probe about and, you know, but you know, obviously you, know, you got to be careful, but they just were like, Pretty much nobody held back. They just, whether it was professional or personal stories, they're just like, there it is. It all just came out. So, yeah, it's great. And when you were sat there at the start of this project and you were making this list of people that you wanted to be on this documentary, was there anyone that you couldn't secure for the documentary that would have been the icing on the cake? Or are you happy when you got everybody that you wanted? I'm completely happy. The first person I approached was Mike Mendez because I started meeting most of the people in the horror crowd through Mike. I worked on a promotional video of his for a film. He was trying to get off the ground. So he led me to other people and, and, you know, I I met and worked with many, many filmmakers. I'm going to tell you what I think about who would have been great to get, even though we're still friends or anything, was James Wan, but he was literally in the middle of Aquaman when I was doing this. And then the promotional tour, it was just impossible. He was very honest about it. Um, so that would have been nice, but I still feel like I've got such a wide variety of people from, you know, from Mike Mendez, Darren Bousman, Ernest Dickerson, Jeffrey Reddick. I mean, all these people, different world, Lynn Shea, Russell Mulcahy, across the board, horror, sci-fi, fantasy. It's such a multi-layered cake, you know, as you say, but without the icing, uh, that it's, it still tastes really good, you know. That's awesome. And what I don't want to kind of spoil it for the listeners out there that then go and check yeah, it out. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> one of the best stories that really kind of blew your mind at the time of doing it that you probably might not have been prepared for. Can you, you don't have to go into the actual details, but can you remember a certain person you spoke to when you thought, oh my God, like this is gold. I can't believe I'm yeah, hearing. I can tell you two things and that's okay. I mean, it's just a little tidbit out of a 92 minute movie. Yeah. I can tell you a few seconds. So I'm not too, you know, uh, persnickety that way. Um, Mike Mendez, the aforementioned, uh, told me that the first movie he ever saw was uh, The Hills of Eyes at age three. <laughs> wow. and, that was, and I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, you see, I cut to a reaction because we had two cameras going at all times. And then we cut to a reaction of me like going like this. And I'm, that's not, that wasn't acting. That was like, why are you kidding me? So basically his parents took him to see The Hills of Eyes at age three. And he says, and I think that basically effed me. Yeah. You know? And, and, but, you know, it's very funny. He's cracking up about it. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm so destroyed. And then number two would probably have to be Lynn Shay when she's talking about, you know, because she's so sweet and everybody loves her and the whole thing. She goes, yeah, but, you know, Ruben, I also have a dark side. I can be, like, not very nice sometimes. <laughs> I thought, okay. That's a nice revelation, right? Yeah. yeah which, which is fine. I mean, why can't you be multifaceted? You can't just be Mr. or Mrs. Nice Guy all the time, you know. I'm sure things happen where people, I, myself, everybody, can has to go hold on guys you know so those are the two two that come off the top of my head right now uh, revelations that i thought were really shocking and interesting interesting yeah and as this is your directorial debut what was the biggest learning curve for you because we all sit there we all look at people as we've mentioned a few of the big directors today even people like spielberg and john carpenter and all these great great directors to know how much work's involved as a director is just on another level. But what was it that was the biggest learning point for you as a director that you thought, I wasn't prepared for this? Oh, gosh, Mark, I, I wasn't prepared for I don't know, because, I mean, I've been in that world. I was in the horror world for a while already. I've been an actor most of my adult yeah. life. 
I'd done a couple of shorts. So I knew how to be behind the camera too. I've been writing for a long time. So I knew how to structure and put together. I started structuring my ideas already. This, as you can see in the movie, the segments. Yeah. We got, you know, the, the, the women in horror. You've got the, the first horror movie and all so forth. You know, so many different things that I knew where I was going. I just want to see what they would give me. I mean, the only thing I could say would be a daunting task was the editing of the over 30 hours yeah. into 90 minutes. Uh, I was close to 40 hours down to 90 minutes. And, but when I say daunting, I mean daunting, but so rewarding. I really enjoyed it. Putting it, It's like, to me, to me, editing is like sculpting. You're, you're taking a piece of clay, adding a piece of clay, and then molding. It's just piece by piece, and I, I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, daunting, but, but totally, totally enjoyable. And, and with so much footage that hasn't made the final cut, um, are, are you the type of guy that will do like a Kevin Smith and we'll have a, a DVD or an extras that we get to see the, the, oh, sure. the unheard stuff and the stuff that sure. never made the reel? Oh, I, I would do it. You know, obviously, I, I, you know, there's stuff when people stumbled or whatever or yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah, and that stuff is always fun to watch. Uh, but sure, yeah, if, if distributors say, hey, we want to DVD it and we want to put some uh, behind the scenes, a little BTS action. I'll, I'll put that together for sure. And I can do that like that. You know, sure. And, and with it looking so good and the great names involved with horror at the moment, I believe that horror is bigger than it's ever been. Um, sure. All the sure. people at school used to pick on me because I was the guy that liked <laughs> horror. And now <laughs> you're a cool person because you like horror. And why do you think Who's it laughing is? now? Huh? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but why do you think it is now that it's so big? Like everyone I know went to see the remake and the, 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 the new vision of uh, John Carpenter's Halloween and everyone's loving paranormal activity and host right now is the biggest film in the world. And horror right. is more alive than it's ever been. And it, it must be for you. So good to see. I got to tell you, I think that start. I hate to say it. I don't know, I hate to say it, it's the truth. It started around Insidious. I mean, James broke yeah. through. Yeah, I really believe that. And not just because I'm in it. I mean, really, this is about, about 10 years ago. That's when we did it. Um, it just crossed over from this, not tiny independent film, because it was about 800 grand, but it made tons of money. And then, of course, Sony picked it up and they went to Toronto and the whole thing. And it just, people started saying, hey, wait a minute, a horror movie can have a little bit of uh, oomph to it, a little bit of like good script and good acting. It's not just like bloody, let's cut the heads off. And of course, there's been movies in the past where have been good too. I go back to Alien always, you know, movies like that. But the genre in the last 10 years has just become this thing. And of course, there's also movies that aren't that great that come out yeah. too, uh, let's be honest. But I think it started around then. That, that's what I think is the, the, right there, the, the, the cutting point there, yeah. And now that you've got this release under the belt and it's your first director debut, you must be now just wanting to get straight back into it, I'm sure, and do oh, yeah. something else. Is that how you're feeling now? Are you, are you yeah. like, I just want to direct forever? Uh, yeah, and, and act too, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I want to do both. But yeah, I definitely want to jump in there um, because um, and it could be narrative or it could be documentary because uh, I've done a couple of short narratives and I'm very familiar with the narrative format, obviously, writing and, and acting in it. So I, I'll, I'll jump in and do whatever's offered it. If it's good, the script's yeah. got to be good. Or if it's my script. Uh, I've got 10 scripts ready to go. I mean, literally 10 scripts wow. ready to go. Oh, yeah. Because I've been writing. Like I said, I've been writing all along. Yeah, yeah, while, yeah. I was act, while I was acting, I was writing. I've got, you know, fantasy. I've got horror, of course. i got romance. You know, I, I, I've got across the board, uh, mystery, thriller, all that stuff. But anyway, um, yeah, I want to jump in direct, either narrative or if I, something comes up, hey, that would be an interesting documentary. And it's well funded and, you know, everybody would get good money. Yeah, I would, I would jump in in a second. Yeah. 
I ask everyone this question. It doesn't matter if they're a, a huge director or a actor or a musician, but a lot of people that listen to this podcast are people that are just starting to get into their kind of uh, passion projects. So they might be at home trying to become a director. They might be writing mm -hmm. a script. Mm -hmm. It's a very tough world to try and get your name out there. What sure. advice as such a legend would you give to these people that would help or give them the support they need to try and become the next big director or the next actor out there that you've done and you've done so well? Uh, networking with good people, talented people, preferably friends, uh, that helps you out. And the reason I got this movie, this horror crowd off the ground is because I knew the people, I knew the subjects and I knew the crew and then we help each other. I've helped them on their things. I've done like things for Hank before I, he did this for me. Same thing with Ariel, my producer. Let's try to have that network of people, whether it's horror, whether it's you know drama, adventure, doesn't matter. If you can, of course, you'll always take other jobs. You're just jobbed in. You don't know anybody. Of course, I've done that thousands of times. But if you can have this core group, a horror crowd, uh, that you can work with and help each other, you, you know, you'll act in his film. He'll he'll produce your film. He'll direct your film. You know, back and forth. That is so beneficial. The best, the best thing I can say is, you know make your own projects don't always wait you know for the phone call you know that's the worst mistake anybody director writer producer actor could do is sit there by the phone waiting for it i know it's like an old cliche but don't do that get those projects going that's why i wrote all these scripts i'm, I'm ready to go oh let's do this one now let's do the the mystery now let's do whatever uh, so that's that's what i would advise get a core group of people a circle a network and work with each other all the time help each other all the time that comes out in the movie i talk about help each other because you never know where it may lead you know, yeah, and it led me to Insidious, which opened many doors for me after that. And with the pandemic that is currently going on, uh, obviously everything changes. What's it like to have a release out at such a strange time? Do you think it's more challenging or do you like the fact that there's more people at home and they're able to now jump online to Fright Fest and have it virtually and all this sort of thing? Do you, it must be a, a weird time to try and get your work out there. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, Mark, because I'm obviously... When I started doing this, I never expected this to happen, this pandemic. I thought, I'm going to be at, I'm going to go to Fright Fest. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go to all the festivals, wherever they are. And I'm going to, you know, be there doing the Q&As and participate and meet the people. That's That was obviously the, the plan. And then this world turned upside down. But I think it's going to offer some benefits, as you say, the online thing. I think a lot more things will be online. People can watch them at home. And I think when theaters do obviously open up, people will go back to theaters. There's no way they're not going to. I can't believe that for a second. But I think, you know, conditioning the mind is, is, is a thing, is a real thing. So people will go, yeah, I'll watch them online. I'll sit here and do a little Amazon or a little Amazon Prime, a little bit of Netflix or Shutter or whatever it is. And as long as the movie's, you know, on the platforms and hopefully in the theaters, you get a little bit of both, you know. It's really hard to get your head around because some people have had such success from it. Like I just mentioned the film Host. Yes. That's purely because of the pandemic. If that hadn't mm -hmm. have happened, there would be no people mm -hmm. using Zoom as much and this whole exactly. idea. So it kind of has really worked for some, but then other directors like Christopher Nolan and everything, all their films are just being delayed. And it's, yeah. it's, but uh, that's, he's a big studio guy with big cinematic, you know, yeah. eye. So his films aren't made for this, you know, they're made for that. <laughs> and he, and, and to be perfectly honest, he can afford to wait. It's not like he's like starving somewhere, you know, so he can just yeah. wait and then wait till that, you know, 2021, whenever the middle, the, the end of 2021 and, and release that big film. 
So I think but there's room for both. Yeah. And, and for the listeners out there that are now going, oh my God, I want to see this documentary. What's the <laughs> way they can do it? Is it to, at the moment, buy this virtual ticket for the Fright yeah. Fest where they can get yeah, if, I'm sorry, yes, exactly right. If they're in, in the UK and Ireland, then they can do it. Uh, it's it's uh, geo-locked to, to, those, to that area. So you can do that. Just go to FrightFest.com and you can get the ticket and, you know, and see it. And there's several other, you know, good things on there. Uh, one of the people in my in my movie, Brea Grant, has a film also on there. And, uh, you know, I, I was going through a scanning and I go, well, these are some good stuff here. So not just one movie, but definitely see the horror crowd. <laughs> and for the people that are also out there that want to see it that might be in Europe or in America, what's what's the way that they can get their hands on seeing this? Right now, it's just it's just the, the, the geo locked at Fright yeah. Fest. It's not distributed yet. I'm hoping to get distribution, of course. You know, once that happens, whether it ends up being theater yeah. and or online, then, you know, obviously I'll be announcing that and putting that up uh, on the social media and stuff. But right now, no, it's not available to be like, it's not on VOD yet. I'm literally yeah. doing the festival circuit right now. So I'm a little yeah. before the VOD or anything like that. Yeah. And what's, what's kind of in the pipeline for you coming up? I know you said you've got 10 scripts and stuff, but what's the next sort of project you want to get your teeth stuck into? Are we allowed to know any details yet? Or sure, are you gonna, sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, as far as, um, as, far as uh, acting or even directing things, as you know, are kind of locked down, so there's nothing going on. But I'm by coastal now with New York and L.A., so as soon as things open up in those two cities, I'll be going back and forth, you know, doing jobs and, and gigs, whether it be acting or directing as far as what I've been doing during the, the quarantine, I, I directed a horror short. Yeah. I didn't want to just stay home doing nothing, you know, twiddling my thumbs. I said, you know what? So I wrote this little horror short, nice 10 minute horrific horror short, shot it, got it all in the can, looked at the footage. I love it. As soon as I'm done with the, the festival thing, I'll start editing, you know, getting it out there. So that's what's going on with me. And my final question, and this is not an easy one. I'm going to put you on the spot, but every... I'm not answering that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Every <laughs> single guest that ever comes on the podcast gets to choose the piece of music that closes the episode. So I've had people on here like Anthony Hopkins, Mads Mikkelsen, Kevin Smith. Each person has given me a piece of music or a song by a band that means something personally to them. If you think about it too hard, you'd be there for weeks and you'd wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh, it's this song. But what would you like to be the song that for you would be the perfect closing for this episode? For this episode, not for my movie, because the one in my movie that closes it is my daughter's song. Wow. Her band is, yeah, oh yeah, of course. Not, oh, she's a great singer, I mean, really. And composer and plays piano, plays guitar. You know, let's, give her a plug. What, let's give her a plug. What's her band? Yeah, her name is Madeline Pla. My name is yeah. Pla, last name. And her band is Zombie Sunday. So zombie like the monster and Sunday like the dessert. Awesome. And yeah, so I'm just going to go with that. The, the, the song is called Scarlet. Obviously okay. the scarlet yeah. billows, you know, uh, bleeding and all that. And it's on, it's online everywhere. Zombie Sunday uh, on, you know, Spotify and all those places. And uh, it, it just fits so well because it's kind of like, I got to get out of hell and this whole thing. It's, it, it fit the horror crowd so well that I use. So I'm going to go with that. Sorry, but that's, you know, cause I guess you're right. Cause you know, for like weeks thinking, Oh my God, what, what stay away to heaven? Uh, you know, you know, queen, I, I don't know, but uh, I'm going to say her. Scarlet by Zombie Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. Look that up. You'll see. (laughs) Our uh, time has come to an end, but I want to thank you uh, for your time. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Um, Likewise. I wish you all the luck with this release. I'll be there with my ticket virtually, and I'll be sitting on my laptop watching it, and I can't wait. Fantastic. Yeah. I hope all the rest of the press goes really well, and I 
it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. Same, same to you, Mark. And I wish you all the best. You're a great guy, I can tell. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Ruben Pla. And as you could hear, we talked all about the horror crowd. I was lucky enough to see an advanced screener of this, and it's fantastic. He's got some amazing people within the horror community to talk. And honestly, it's absolutely awesome from start to finish. So when it is out and we see a distribution, get on it, because you won't regret it. An absolute huge thank you as well for Ruben for coming on the interview. I think he was absolutely brilliant and again a pleasure to have on so thanks very much. You guys out there the response lately has been amazing. I'm recording more and more episodes than I've ever done and you're going to get more and more podcasts coming your way. The next one is going to be absolutely awesome and as we sit here right now it's personally one of my favourites I've ever done but I'm not going to let you know any more than that. You have to go on markandme.com, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and see the clues that I start leaving over the next few days. I'll be back in a few days with a brand new episode. Take care everyone. Sure, but maybe I'm not an It's just a matter of time It's a clatter, it's a nightmare scene I feel so good in Scarlet Your fantasies might be the dream It's my turn or your turn I've lost that connection It feels like a weakness I'm holding my breath in It's just a matter of time Until I'm Scarlet again Why would you trust me? The plans that I had while well, they're slowly composting. It's just a matter of time. It's a clatter, it's a nightmare scene. I feel so good in Scarlet. Your fantasies might be the dream. It's my turn or your turn. I've lost that connection. It feels like a weakness. I'm holding my breath in. It's just a matter of time. Till I'm Scarlet again. Night, oh well, old habits, white rabbits, I need to get out of here. It's just a matter of time, it's a clatter, it's a night dancing. I feel so good in Scarlet, your fantasies might be the dream. It's my turn or your turn, I've lost that connection, it feels like a weakness, I'm holding my breath in. It's just a matter of time, till I'm Scarlet again. Till I'm Scarlet